Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why do you think there are such similarities in near-death experiences? Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and in this episode, we will be exploring near-death experiences and if people really do visit the other side during these moments. Why is it that there's such similarities in the stories that people tell us when they've had a near-death experience? A white light, meeting deceased relatives, and their lives flashing before their eyes? We find out in this episode... Of paranormal activity. A near-death experience, or NDE, is a profound personal experience associated with death or impending death, which researchers claim share similar characteristics. When positive experiences may encompass a variety of sensations, including detachment from the body, feelings of levitation, total and utter serenity, security, warmth, the experience of absolute dissolution and the presence of a light. When negative emotions rush through such as experiences like these, they may include sensations of anguish and distress. Now, my near-death experience happened when I was filming in the United States of America. It was, I think, 1988, and I was on the summer filming expedition for the BBC on a TV show called Blue Peter. Um, we were filming at my adventures trying to accomplish white water rafting. I was incredibly excited and ready for the challenge. The inflatable dinghy was absolutely huge and our guide sat at the back so he could steer the trusty vessel over the enormous waves. The Kern River looked really, really angry that day and we were advised to do exactly as our guide Kirby had instructed. Myself and a few of the TV crew positioned ourselves in the boat, tightened our life jackets, crossed our fingers and off we went. I remember feeling so exhilarated as we plummeted through the cold water. Its icy fingers slapped our faces. I took gulps of air as the boat bucked down the vast river. We all cheered and congratulated ourselves as we'd cleared the first run. But now we were about to ride the biggest rapid. Our guide Kirby suggested that we should paddle onto a rapid and our objective was to be able to get the boat to sit on top of the highest wave. He warned us that we could get bucked out and to hold on tight, 
where we paddled like fury. And I was absolutely delighted to see that we had done exactly that. We had actually gone backwards up the river. And as I looked over the side of the boat, I could actually see that we were actually sitting on top of a huge wave. We were surfing with a huge dinghy. It was incredible. Suddenly, we all screamed as the large boat bucked upwards like a horse at a rodeo. I felt my body flying through the air and smacking hard into the cold water. Instantly, I was sucked down into blackness. I was in a washing machine going round and around, tumbling one way and then another. My outstretched hands tried desperately to grab onto something, anything to pull me out of the cold blackness, but there was nothing. I was beginning to panic and I thought I would come up by now. Surely, surely I would pop up, especially wearing a life jacket. But no, it seemed to be pulling me further down. Rocks and stones pummeled my face and body as I spun round and around. I knew I was running out of breath and no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't get up to the surface. And then the most amazing feeling came over me. My whole body relaxed and I felt this amazing feeling of warmth and this, um, just I, I can't even explain it, this wondrous feeling of absolute joy and love. And I knew then in that moment that I was going to die. But the most extraordinary thing was I was really happy about it. I wasn't frightened at all. This warm feeling enveloped my whole being. It was beautiful and I resigned myself to my fate and felt really happy about it, so peaceful. I didn't see a light or hear any voices, but that feeling I will never forget. It obviously wasn't my time to go yet. And then just like that, just like a cork, I popped out up to the surface to discover a boat full of people looking distraught and incredibly relieved. Apparently, I'd been under the water for about three minutes, which doesn't seem a long time, but to me, it felt like a lifetime. I totally believe that when a person is close to death or does indeed clinically die, they do absolutely experience the soul's journey to the other side. Now, scientists have done numerous experiments over the years to explain what happens to the brain and the body as it's shutting down. And for the most part, they do have an answer for the bright light, the warm, loving feeling, voices and floating. But there are a couple of sensations that occur during most NDEs. And these are uh, the observing scenarios um, around the deceased body. For instance, when the person has come back, they can recall conversations that have been had uh, of, of doctors talking uh, with nurses. What do we do? Try again. CPR. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, pump, pump so many mils of adrenaline in. And, and they can uh, regurgitate those conversations Exactly. Uh, and that to me is absolutely fascinating. Um, the second sensation that science cannot explain is having conversations with deceased loved ones and then recounting them back uh, where the deceased loved one has given them information about, oh, in so many months, you're going to do this or you're going to have that or you're going to see this person or have a relationship with that person. And it comes true. Now, science hasn't been able to explain that. 
I love watching documentaries on near-death experiences, and one story really had an impact on me. Annoyingly, I can't seem to find the footage now, so this story is from my memory, so please bear with me and forgive me. It was based, uh, his story was based in the 1970s, and it's about a US Air Force pilot, and he was taxiing his plane on the runway, getting ready to take off, and as he reached the correct speed, something went wrong with the plane and he tried to steer the huge craft out of danger. I think there was a fire and it was at this point the pilot describes leaving his body and seeing the action from above, almost like seeing a movie. The plane crashed and he then felt himself floating up and seeing the most beautiful, bright, vivid light. He walked towards it and as he entered the light, he describes seeing people surround him, family members and loved ones. And as he's telling the story on camera, he's sobbing. He's really emotional about this, um, about being reunited with his loved ones. And he recalls feeling this sensation of absolute love and pure happiness and a oneness with everything. Now, I've heard this mentioned quite a few times, this sort of connection with the universe. And it's it's something that a lot of people can't describe. It's this overwhelming joy and love that we've touched on before. Um, this pilot then remembers being transported to a beautiful garden where he sat down with his father. They talked using no voices uh, out of their mouths, but thoughts in each other's heads. He was then told that it was not his time and that he had to go back. Well, he began to cry again in the interview on camera as he remembered the absolute dread of having to return back into his body and to this plane on earth. When he did come back into his body and recuperated after the crash, this man was never the same again. He couldn't live his normal life. He so desperately wanted to go back to this other plane that he had travelled to where he'd seen his father in the garden. And because he couldn't, sadly, he tried to take his own life. He just wanted to go back. He wanted to be in that light again and feel that beautiful feeling of love and oneness with the universe. At the end of the interview, he tells us that he knows his job whilst left on this plane is to share his experiences with others, to give them comfort where it's needed, and that he cannot wait for the day that he dies. Another wonderful story I came across involves an American engineer. We'll call him Dan. This young man was a total atheist. He didn't believe in a God or any afterlife whatsoever. So as you can imagine, his experience changed his whole life. After suffering from an accident at work, Dan was rushed to the emergency room. His ribs were broken from a fall and he was finding it very hard to breathe. A nurse told him that if he needed help um, or the pain intensified, he was to push the button by the side of his bed and the nurse would come in. The pain got much worse, but he came from a family in Brooklyn uh, where men were supposed to be hard and not weak. And he decided to grin and bear it and he coped with the pain. He wasn't going to be weak. After 45 minutes, he couldn't stand anymore. And so he pushed the button. The nurse came in and knew immediately that something was wrong and shouted for the other doctors to come in and assist her. Dan 
in that moment knew he was going to die and found himself being flooded with thoughts and emotions. The number one thought and emotion was shame. Shame at letting his family down. How would they cope without him? And Dan asked God, who he didn't believe in, if you get me out of this, I'll change. The second emotion was anger. Don't be stupid. God isn't real. Third emotion felt like a light bulb being turned off and fear ran through him. Then he remembered wanting someone to help him, to hold his hand. And then he resigned himself to death and waited for it to come. He then saw a shadow of a person standing by the door and thought, okay, maybe it's okay to let go. Suddenly he felt safe, he felt okay. The shadow moved around the room and came towards him and then strangely reached out and touched his toe. Dan suddenly felt at peace and very, very calm. He describes being in a blissful state as a warm breeze fluttered over him. Then he felt himself being lifted above his body and watched on as the nurses and a doctor performed CPR on him. He saw himself on his bed and knew that he had died. Suddenly he heard a voice. It said, think of your body as a car. We can't fix it. It's time to say goodbye. Then for the first time in his life, He appreciated that body, his life and the way his body had helped him live that life. Then a series of memories flashed in front of him. A baby's smile, a kiss, laughter, happiness, small lovely memories of his life. A rush of appreciation for his life with his family and friends penetrated his being. The voice came back. Dan says it felt, lovely how he uses the term felt, not sounded, Um, Dan said it felt female. Let's walk, it said. And he felt himself walking towards a big hole in the ground. Now, if I saw a big hole in the ground, I'd run. But he gladly went into the hole and then felt himself falling for what seemed like forever. And as he fell, Dan felt as if things were falling away from him, like he was being stripped He then came to a a sudden stop and then there was another hole and he was guided down again, falling through this hole. Again, the same feeling of things being stripped away from him. Eventually, he fell into an enormous void of colour. Instantly, he heard what sounded like a million voices, lots of chatter. It sounded like static, but he could understand it. He just felt completely and utterly alive. The colour opened up to reveal an amazing forest with mountains and rivers, herds of animals grazed on the plains in the distance. Dan saw the sun, but it was huge. It wasn't hot, though, just a beautiful warm breeze brushed over him. He was flying over the vista, and below him he saw a beautiful cove. On the beach, he noticed a man standing, holding hands with six children. Dan moved down towards the man. The man turned to him and Dan gasped as the man was his deceased father. In life, their relationship had been a hard one, a strict, loveless relationship. But here on the beach, Dan and his dad spoke to each other with love and kindness and forgiveness. His father then gently told Dan that he had to go back. It wasn't his time. Dan said, no, I want to stay. 
Then he felt a tugging sensation in his back. And suddenly he was there, back in his body on the hospital bed. And as you would expect, Dan no longer is an atheist. This week's story is from Daniel, who had a strange and smelly experience with the spirit world. When I was about 16, I moved in with my nan and I used to live in my granddad's bedroom. I was really close to my granddad and he died when I was a lot younger and I really missed him and I wish I got to know him when I was a lot older, um, the age I was now. I wish I knew him when I was now and I used to wish I could see him again. And every now and again, I used to get the feeling that he'd visit the bedroom sometimes when I was there, but I'd never used to see him or hear him. What I would get is the smell of his tobacco. And it was a really comforting smell, but it was a really sweet smell. And it would sort of waft in the room, a really solid smell of his tobacco, like he was smoking his pipe in the room. And then it would leave again just as quick as it arrived. It was a really strange feeling, really. And this strange smell phenomena has happened um, recently when me and my colleague used to walk on night shifts at the ambulance service. We used to go for our night shifts walk to a nearby graveyard, as you do. And every now and again, walking through the graveyard, we used to sort of walk through a smell barrier it was all of us all, almost um, and it was a really strange you wouldn't was never scared but you almost felt comforted by this smell that you knew something was there but you never quite you weren't quite sure what it was so we were knew there were maybe a spirit around us or something like that we couldn't see or hear but instead, we, we, we could smell instead. Well, Daniel, smells are a very common occurrence with the paranormal field. And I suspect that you are on the verge of being psychic. Now, there are many different uh, psychic abilities in the paranormal world. For instance, there's clairaudience. This is the ability uh, to uh, hear spirits. There's clairempathy. That's the ability to sense what the spirit is feeling. Perhaps a certain spirit will want to share its emotions or pain when it died with you, or they just want to share their excitement or joy. Uh, Clearly, Anne's that, that's the ability to smell fragrance, which is what I think, Daniel, uh, you're uh, capable of doing. Um, so, for instance, the pipe tobacco um, or, uh, you know, a relative's favourite perfume, they're worn by loved ones and that's a way for them to let you know that they are there. I've also had the most horrific uh, experience of being in a lift uh, in the Galleries of Justice in Nottingham and it was just the smell of death. It was awful. There was no explanation for it. I wasn't the only one to smell it. We were gagging. It, imagine being trapped in a lift with that smell. Let me tell you, it was funny, but it was also horrendous. But what the spirit was doing was showing us that, the word is a brand um, new that they had passed on in a very me, traumatic uh, way. Piles, and they wanted and to let us know and explain to us and possibly help them to go forward to the other side. There's also a clear tangency or 
psychometry. Time, we'll now, this is the ability to hold you guys objects, too, help me figure out uh, close your eyes, and then images will come into your you eyes, podcast, and you'll see places, see names, see people's faces, and that particular object uh, will take you uh, and and give you a story of w- of where that object came from, and that's something that I'm uh, learning to do at the moment, and I find it absolutely. Uh, fascinating clairvoyance to see or hear visions and this one's interesting as well Claire Gustans was the ability to taste I've I've often tasted um, uh, metal or blood uh, in my mouth which again uh, can be a way of the spirit letting you know of how they died you know they were uh, murdered or you know had a, a traumatic death where where you know they were uh, sensing blood in the back of their throat so these are just a few of the things that you can experience uh, if you think you might be psychic. And I think, Daniel, you're definitely psychic. And if you want to, uh, you can open up yourself to more of these psychic abilities. But remember, only if you want to. Welcome back. Before we jump into our chat with near-death experience expert Bruce Grayson, we've had some brilliant feedback from our amazing listeners. Now, Courtney got in touch on Instagram to say, hey, Vet, I absolutely love listening to your podcast. I'm a midwife and have a three and a half hour commute to work every week. And I repeatedly listen to them. Please, please do more. Dave Smith got in touch on email to ask, when you were making Most Haunted, did you visit any haunted television and radio stations? Well, David, yes, I have a been very fortunate. I have investigated Elstree Studios in Boreham Wood, which is just outside of London, and that was absolutely fascinating. Back in the 1950s, it was actually known in Hollywood as the Haunted Studios. Can you imagine all these big famous Hollywood stars would come over to England to shoot these movies and then come back, uh, you know, go back to Hollywood and and, and report on seeing all these ghosts uh, in a studio in the UK. Uh, and I myself have experienced some strange spooky phenomena um, at that particular location. The next location was, of course, Granada TV Studios, um, which is where a famous TV show called Coronation Street in the UK is filmed or was filmed. They've moved since uh, I was there. Um, And that uh, has a a history. The actual street and studios were built on top of, uh, I think it was a bomb site during World War II. Um, There's all sorts of things that have gone on on that site uh, before the studios were built. And I think that's the key to a lot of haunting phenomena. What happened on the site before the location's were built. But David actually says, you know, firstly, um, uh, his dad was BBC Radio Leeds Broadcasting House, Woodhouse Lane, from 1978 to 1981, which I think had previously been a chapel or Quaker meeting house. In the TV studios, the floor of the director's gallery had been lowered and a grey lady was seen floating across that several times and a few feet above the floor. In the kitchen, which was also used as a sick room when people were unwell, a lady was using the telephone in there one day when the metal lid of the kettle lifted off and slammed into the sink. Well, the lady making the phone call not unnaturally dropped the phone and ran out of the room. There were also phantom footsteps heard. 
At Leicester Sound, there were reports of a ghost seen on the main staircase by the stained glass window, and she was seen upset and crying. And finally, David says, I must mention Radio Trent in Nottingham. This was housed in an old hospital on Castlegate. Oh, gosh, you're going to get a lot of phenomena there, I I would imagine. Um, And uh, he says, I think the ghost of a lady uh, was seen floating about, but I'm not too sure on the exact details. I think DJs John Peters and David Lloyd, both on Boom Radio, saw her at various times. As for my original question of whether you've ever visited haunted radio or TV stations, I wonder if ghosts are reported a lot in these locations because a lot of the broadcasting equipment give out a lot of electromagnetic radiation, which may cause ghosts to be seen. I'd be interested to hear your view on this. Absolutely, totally, 100% agree with you, David, on that. Anywhere that's filled with electromagnetic uh, radiation or a place that is pulsing with electricity is a place that may be more prone to ghostly phenomena. Now, I've known lots of radio stations to be haunted and plenty of people who I talk to report being absolutely terrified if they're the last to leave the building at night. I had the opportunity to investigate, as I said before, the old Granada studios. Um, and it was absolutely incredible. The staff and some of the actors did report regularly seeing ghosts and hearing strange voices and footsteps when there was no one else around. And also a lot of the equipment um, would suddenly explode or break down or, you know, the elect- uh, the sound equipment would report voices. And I remember the chairs in, the, in one of the galleries in the studio. Um, somebody came in in the morning and found them all thrown all over the place. I mean, poltergeist activity at its best. I just wish we'd been able to record it. But whether that was down to the uh, electrical waves, I don't know. Or it could have been that the set, like I said, was built over the top of the bomb site from World War II. Perhaps further investigation is required. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, I'm very, very excited and honoured to be joined uh, on the podcast today by Dr. Bruce Grayson, uh, who's an author of uh, many books, um, the latest being called After. Uh, he's a professor of uh, psychiatry and neurobehavioral sciences at the University uh, of Virginia. Well, welcome, uh, a warm welcome to you, Bruce. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Yvette, for inviting me. I'm glad to be here with you. I'm a huge fan, so I'm a little bit nervous <laughs> talking to you. Um, I just, I, I really do, um, you know, totally believe that all these people that are having um, near-death experiences um, are really um, going to the other side. They're communicating with their with their loved ones. But from your expert opinion, what actually happens to the brain at that moment of death? Well, it's it's very hard to say because it's very difficult to actually measure what's going on in the brain when someone is that close to death. But it appears to be that the brain shuts down. The electrical activity stops, the blood flow to the brain stops, and there really can be no uh, effective brain activity during that time while the mind seems to be going better than ever, thinking clearly uh, perceiving things, forming memories without the help of the brain. So would you say that, um, that the mind is the consciousness then? It's the energy that's actually being moved out of the body and, and having these experiences? Well, it certainly seems that way a bit. It seems like in everyday life, we don't distinguish between mind and brain. They seem like they're the same thing. But in extreme circumstances like near-death experiences, the brain stops and yet the mind goes on just as usual. In fact, better than ever. So when people say, because we all know about um, the classic signs and, uh, and occurrences in near-death experiences that, you know, people that have gone on and they've reported, you know, the, the brilliant, beautiful white light, um, this feeling of absolute pure love and euphoria and a warmness um, and, and seeing a loved one, um, uh, uh, would you say the majority of those things are put down to um, the brain shutting down? Well, I don't see how they can be. Uh, you know, some of the things that you mentioned, like the bright light and the feelings of peace, are very hard to to pin down, and they could be related to the brain shutting down. But other things cannot be. For example, people who leave their bodies as they're approaching death and are able to see things accurately from an out-of-body perspective. There's no way that the, that can be attributed to the brain. Or people who see deceased loved ones, now that can be attributed to just expectation. But sometimes they see deceased people who were not known to be dead. In that case, you can't attribute it to expectation or wishful thinking. What cases that you've studied over the years have really intrigued you? Well, one of the ones that was most impressive to me was a, a fellow who was um, living in South Africa at the time. He was uh, about a 25-year-old um, technical writer, and he was admitted to the hospital with severe pneumonia with repeated respiratory arrest where he couldn't breathe. And he had one nurse who was working very closely with him who was about his age. And she worked with him every day. And one day she told him she was going to be taking the long weekend off. And so he said goodbye to her and she let him know that other nurses would be substituting for her. While she was gone over the weekend, he had another respiratory arrest where he had to be resuscitated and brought back to life again. 
And during that experience, he had a near-death experience where he found himself in a beautiful pastoral scene. And to his great surprise, his primary nurse, Anita, who had taken the weekend off, comes walking towards him through this meadow. And he does a double take and says, what are you doing here, Anita? And she said, well, this is where I am now, but you can't stay here. You need to go back to your body. And I want you to find my parents and tell them that I love them. And I'm sorry, I wrecked the red MGB. And then she turned and walked away. Uh, when he then woke up later on in his hospital bed, he had a complete memory of this. And he tried to tell one of the nurses who came to his room. And she got very upset and left the room immediately. It turned out that his primary nurse, Anita, had taken the weekend off to celebrate her 21st birthday. And her parents surprised her with a gift of a red MGB. She got excited, jumped in the car, took off for a drive, lost control, crashed into a telephone pole and died instantly a few hours before his near-death experience. Now, there's no way he could have expected her to have died and no way he certainly could have known how she died. And yet he did. That's I love stories like that. That to me is absolutely, it's like, it's proof. It's absolute proof that, you know, we do go on somewhere else. I mean, do you now have 100% after everything that you've researched and you've studied, are you now confident and happy that when you die, you will go on? Well, Yvette, I'm, I'm a scientist and I can't say that I'm 100% convinced of anything. You know, I think the sun's going to rise tomorrow, but I'm not sure of that. Um, I'll have to see. Uh, but I think the weight of the evidence strongly, very strongly suggests that we do survive bodily death. Some part of us that thinks and feels and perceives can go on after death. And what about people that have gone into comas? Um, you know, so they're not dead, but they're having really similar experiences, aren't they? They do. Yes, they often have very similar experiences. Um, and it's, you know, people have these experiences when they are demonstrably near death, but also when they um, just fear they're going to die. For example, people who fall off mountains as they're climbing and as they're falling off the mountain, they often have a near death experience. And as far as we know, their hearts don't stop. They aren't physiologically near death, but psychologically, they're pretty sure they're going to die, and yet they don't. It's absolutely incredible. It so how long have you actually been um, studying uh, near-death experiences, and actually what got you interested in it in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been, doing, I've been doing this for about 45 years. Um, I was raised in a scientific household with no religious or spiritual background, so I was very skeptical about anything anything paranormal. And then when I, when I went through college and medical school with that materialistic mindset that what you see is what you get and there's nothing else. When you die, you die. And when I started my psychiatric training, I started encountering patients who claimed that they had left their bodies when they died and were able to see things. And I, I had one patient who actually... Um, I was part of the resuscitation team and she described for me later what was going on and described things that she couldn't possibly have known. Uh, at the time, I was still a diehard materialist. I was sure there had to be some explanation for this. So I launched into studying them, trying to understand them. And the more I studied them, the more I learned about them, the harder it became to believe that the material world is all there is. There had to be more than that. That just didn't explain what these people were experiencing. It really is. I mean, I've been um, 
involved in the paranormal world now for about 20 years. And some of the things, and lots of people that listen to this podcast know, you know, seeing is believing. And it's so true. Unless you've experienced something yourself or you've, you know, you've spoken to many, many people like you have and been blown away by their evidence, it's very, very hard to come out of that cynical side of thinking or skeptical side of thinking. But you being a scientist, I love that. I love the fact that somebody with your mind, your, you know, fantastic brain, you know, you spent years, you know, studying all sorts of things and uh, particularly psychiatry and to look at the brain in that way and go, you know, there's, there's something more going on here, like you just said, and to write about it. It's just such an inspiration to so many people who I thought the same as you, you know, that when you're dead, you're dead, that's it. And it really did make my life quite you know, I was happy, but it sometimes really got to me, you know, when you were a bit down and a bit depressed and then you'd look at the, the blue sky and you go, oh my God, I'm, one day I won't ever see this again. I'll be in the ground. And it really affected me and made me down. So when people like you come along, it really is what we need. Us human beings, we need that faith. We need that hope that this isn't just it, that there's more to it. And then there's that old question of what the hell is it all about? You know, why exactly, are we here yes. and what's it, what's it all for? I mean, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Why are we here? What is it all about? Well, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm a scientist. I try to deal with the facts. Like you said, seeing is believing. But as a scientist, I don't believe everything I see. I know that our senses can be fooled. We have illusions. But the weight of the evidence that I've seen in thousands of near-death experiences suggests that there's more going on here than we'd explain just by the physical world. There has to be something else going on. As to what it all means, I don't know. Um, I haven't had a near-death experience myself most near-death experiencers say the same thing. They say that what it's all about is love and that when you go through the near-death ex experience, you experience the divine love and come back with that filled with the love for everyone else. You feel like you're part of something greater than yourself. You're part of the divine and so is everyone else around us. And when you realize the divinity in other people, you treat them like that with respect um, with, with reverence, really. And people come back from a near-death experience living the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And for them, it's not just a guideline they're supposed to follow as it is for the rest of us, but it's a law of the universe. They know, they've experienced in their NDE that when you hurt someone else, you hurt yourself as well. And I've seen people, I've heard, heard people talk about going through a near-death experience where they have a life review in which they experience things in their lives not only through their own eyes, but through the eyes of people that they have affected. And they see the effects of their activities on other people as well. Gosh, you know, I, I, I've heard about that as well. And, and you know, when you come across, uh, you hear in the news, some of the most appalling things and actions like murderers or, you know, people have done the most terrible things. And I always look at my husband and say, oh, he's got a lot of atoning to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do you feel about, interestingly, do, what do you think about reincarnation? Um, you know, and how, you know, talking about, people atoning and, and, and their actions and uh, everything you just said, really. How do you think that that might apply to reincarnation? That's, that's an interesting question. You know, people who have a near-death experience say they aren't punished for their misdeeds 
uh, after they die. There isn't a judgment by some other uh, being, but they judge themselves. They re-experience their lives from different perspectives. They see what they've done to help or to hurt other people, and they feel the pain that they have caused other people. And they come back not with a sense that they've sinned, but that they've made mistakes, and they want to to uh, kind of atone for them in, in what's left of their lives and try to do it better this time. As for reincarnation, you know, the belief in reincarnation among people who have near-death experiences is the same as it is for people who haven't had NDEs. So I don't think there's anything about the NDE itself that leads one to believe in reincarnation. Having said that, I do know some people who had an NDE where they had a life review that included events from a past life as well as the present life. Um, and they are quite convinced by that. But when we look at children, very young children who have memories of past lives, we don't particularly see evidence of what we call karma in those reincarnations. People who had a, 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 a an, an evil past life don't necessarily have bad lives when they come back uh, and vice versa. So I don't know really how to, how to understand I think what we think of as reincarnation is uh, just too simplistic to be the whole story. There's more going on than we than we realize. Yeah, I agree. What about we, we we talked briefly about you know seeing the light and feeling this this wonderful universal feeling of love and so on. What about the negative side of things? Because I know there are near death experiences where people have actually felt themselves be had the most horrific experiences and they're good people in 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 life. So how do you explain that? Yeah, well, it, it's it's difficult to, to study those because most people who have unpleasant experiences don't want to talk about them, so we don't really hear about them. Um, most people who have studied this think that between one and five percent of near death experiences is unpleasant, and there are different types of unpleasant experiences. Some are uh, frankly hellish with fire and brimstone. A very tiny number of those, um, and most of the people I've talked to who have had that experience were raised in a uh, very fundamentalist Christian tradition where they were led to believe that would happen. I've never heard that from someone else. There are also experiences that are just a sense of being totally in, in a black void with nothing else and the sense that you're in that black void for eternity. And that can be very terrifying for Westerners like we are. Although I've talked to people who were raised in Hindu countries who think they had that and that was, that was nirvana, that was blissful. But the vast majority the vast majority of it, of, of unpleasant near-death experiences, sound just like the pleasant ones, but they are experienced in a frightening way. For example, people will feel themselves ripped out of their bodies and thrust down a tunnel at blinding speed, and it's, it's terrifying for them. And when you talk with these people, you realize that these are people who are uh, very intent on maintaining control over their lives, and they're terrified of losing control. And in the near-death experience, they're totally out of control. And that's terrifying for them. So they aren't able to relax and give into the experience. And some of them will say to you, I fought and fought to get back into my body and I finally gave up and just surrendered. And as soon as I surrendered, it became a blissful experience. So for many of these people, the unpleasant part of the NDE is not the experience itself, but the resistance to it. But you mentioned that, that sometimes great people, um, you know, uh, saintly people can have unpleasant experiences. That should not surprise us because we have accounts from Catholic saints like St. Saint Teresa of Avila and, and St. John of the Cross who wrote about their dark night of the soul when they feel abandoned by God and, and in, in total darkness. And they have to go through that process 
of, of coming to grips with that before they finally reach the enlightened stage. It's absolutely fascinating. It really is. What what new advances are you looking into or or perhaps, you know, is science looking into? Because we've got to a certain stage with near-death experiences, but there has to be more. Are there, are there um, any new advancements, as I say, or experiments that, that are being worked on at the moment to, to look further into it? Well, there are experiments going on where people will um, plant unusual targets around an operating room to see whether people can leave their bodies and describe these targets. Um, I myself am a clinical psychiatrist, so my interest is in how these experiences change people's lives. And we're doing studies now with people who have difficulty regaining a normal lifestyle after a near-death experience, and we're looking at what helps them and what doesn't help them in readjusting to life back here on Earth. But there are other people who are um, coming up in the next generation who have very different backgrounds than I do and can study this from a variety of perspectives. And there are people all over the world from from Belgium to New Zealand who are studying near-death experiences from a physiological perspective, from a cross-cultural perspective, uh, comparing people's prior religious and cultural beliefs and how they affect the near-death experience. and I think we're learning more, but more about the context of near-death experiences. I don't think you can understand them completely without looking at them in the context of other types of spiritual experiences that people have under other circumstances. Do you remember, I don't know if you ever saw it, there was a film called, a movie called Flatliners. Yes, um, yes. Where, yes. And, and I often think, I wonder if one day uh, we'll get to the stage where people will be able to do something like that, but, you know, come experience what it's like and then come back to tell us absolutely but you know it's 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 done with doctors and nurses and scientists and so on i wonder if we'll ever be allowed or maybe they've done it but we just don't we're not allowed to know about it (laughs) no i don't don't (laughs) think so and it 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 seems that one of the most important parts of the near-death experience is the sense of being out of control and you find yourself without the normal things that identify you, your gender, your age, uh, your political affiliation. You don't have any of those things in the near-death experience and you feel better than you ever have before. And you realize all the things that we use on this life to stay in control of ourselves are totally irrelevant. We don't need them. And when you try to induce the experience, either under a doctor's care or with psychedelic drugs or with hypnosis, you're not giving up. You're not giving into the experience. You're still trying to control it. And I think that stops you from having the full experience. Do you have any advice for um, people like myself who are, are trying to connect with the other side f- through meditation? Is there some sort of mental state that you can actually acquire? I know there is, but for people that are learning like myself that sort of want to connect more um, with the other side? Well, unfortunately, Yvette, the the um the technique that seems to be most helpful is one that's very, very difficult. And the reason it's difficult is that you have to stop trying so hard. <laughs> uh, you know, tr- <laughs> trying so hard is, is trying to control the process. And you need to relax and just let it happen. It's like it's a gift given to you. You can't force it. Oh, I've I've absolutely loved chatting to you. Honestly, I've been so excited all day. Uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going to order your book after and uh, I'm going to post it to you somehow and you're going to sign it and send it back. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. My pleasure, Yvette. 
Well, thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. Do you believe in reincarnation? We should be back at the same time, same place next week. Stay up to date with the newest episode by giving us a follow. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. We want to hear from you. So send an audio clip telling us your paranormal stories to paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. That's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us also on WhatsApp and you can send in your voice notes to this number 75 27537. That's 075992753. And remember, things aren't always as they seem. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.